Welcome to our Sunday night sermon series as we preach through the Bible alphabetically. This week, our message comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 through 25. We preach Christ crucified. Pastor Tim states, We seem to have emojis and icons for everything. If there is any one symbol that represents Christianity, then it has to be the cross. The cross of Jesus is central to everything that we believe. We know that Jesus hung on a cross because of us and for us. Therefore, as Paul said, we preach Christ crucified. Here's Pastor Tim. In fact, the church that was in Corinth had some of the worst scandals that you can imagine going on in the church itself. I mean, modern day scandals don't even hold a candle to some of the things that the church in Corinth was dealing with. By the way, if you followed through or read through that uh, put-on, put-off sheet that I gave to you last week, do you notice how many times the references there are to First or Second Corinthians? There's so much that's going on. And so even as, as Paul begins this very first letter to them, the first answer that he has for all of those troubles is preaching. It's the preaching of God's Word that becomes the answer to those scandals. The preaching of God's inerrant, infallible, inspired, incredible Word of God. That's where the power is, isn't it? The power is not in uh, simply coming up with a game plan uh, to, to come against those scandals. It's not in coming clean. It's not in any of those kinds of things. Instead, it is the preaching. In fact, if you're there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look down to verse number 23. That's really what it begins with in chapter 23, it, or verse 23, is what has captured my attention out of this passage today. Where Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. Preaching is important. But all preaching is not necessarily preaching. You know? Just because you have an assembly of an alliterated arrangement. You know, that's, that's not preaching. Preaching is not a political platform. Preaching is not some opinionated outburst. Uh, preaching is not just a commentary on the culture or a scripture as a springboard uh, uh, speech. It's, <laughs> it's certainly not what my grandmother called it on my very first sermon. I invited them to come the very first time I ever got to preach. And after it was over with, and I, I had to go back there and shake hands, you know, and my grandmother came back there and she said, I enjoyed your little talk. <laughs> Preaching needs to be a little bit more than just a little talk. One of my favorite preachers has become a man by the name of H.B. Charles. H.B. Charles is an incredible preacher and an expository preacher. I want you to listen to how he defines this, how, how he defines not just preaching, but specifically expository preaching. He says, expository preaching explains what the text means by what it says. Seeking to exhort the hearers to trust and obey the God-intended message of the text. It is preaching in which the point of the message is rooted in, aligns with, 
and flows from the primary meaning of the sermon text. In other words, it's not just finding a passage and then going off in whatever direction you want. It's a reminder to us that what the Bible meant then is what the Bible still means today. The Bible doesn't change its meaning just because culture changes or society changes or we say times change. The Word of God is the Word of God. What he loved in the Old Testament, he still loves today. What he hated in the Old Testament, he still hates today. How he worked in the Old Testament, he still works those same ways today. It is God's Word, and that's what we want to focus on as we begin to look at this idea today, and specifically, what kind of message that Paul was preaching. In fact, look back up with me to verse number 18. If uh, Paul were to give a title to his message, it's there at the beginning of verse number 18. He says, for the message of the cross, that's his message. It's the message of the cross, or what he will refer to in the previous verse as to preach the gospel in verse number 17. So what does that really matter? What does it matter that we preach Christ crucified, that we preach the gospel, that we preach the message of the cross? What does that matter? It depends on who you are. So I'd say it to you this way. Number one. It's good news to the saved. The preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the message of the cross is good news to those who are saved. What you're going to notice in verse number 17 is that Paul states for us what his mission is, why he's here. Notice what he says in verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Now, is there anything wrong with baptizing? No. We need baptizing. We need more baptizing. (laughs) We need more baptizing. But that's not why Paul was sent. Paul wasn't sent to build their numbers of baptism. He was sent, he says, specifically to preach the gospel. Now, we know that he did some baptizing. In fact, it'll say so in these verses that uh, that are just in front of this. Like back in verse number 14, he mentions that he had baptized uh, Gaius and Crispus. He mentions in verse number 16 that he baptized the household of Stephanus. So those things are important. But here's the issue. Everybody has things that need to be done. Everybody has issues that are important, like baptism to a church. But you can't get distracted by the things that are good, even the things that are great, from the reason that God called you in the first place. It's a hard thing to be all things to all people, isn't it? If you've ever tried to be the kind of person who wants to please everybody, I can speak from experience. If you try to be the kind of person who wants to please everybody, then be sure of this, you are going to fail. You just can't. And there's some things that God has equipped you to do, and some things that are important that God hasn't equipped you to do. 
And it's better left up to those that he has called and that he has equipped and that you not be distracted but stay true to the mission that God has sent to you and sent you to do. Paul's message is to preach the gospel, he says. You already know this, but the word gospel means good news. And it is good news, isn't it? In fact, to over in chapter number 15, Paul will define for us what the gospel is. You know, we live in a day, we live in a day today where even Baptists don't even know what the gospel is. We attach the word gospel to anything and everything so that nobody can be against that. It may not, it may not have anything to do with the gospel. But yet because we use that word, we find that it's not holding up the meaning that it really needs to. If you want to go to chapter number 15 and hold your place here in chapter number 1, you can. But in the beginning of chapter number 15, he gives to us what I really consider to be a good definition for the gospel. What is the gospel? Notice what he says, beginning in verse number 1. Moreover, brethren... I declare to you, here it is, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you. Now that's exactly in line with what we've just seen in our text tonight. The, Paul said, I have been sent not to baptize, I have been sent to preach the gospel. And so he says to those brethren, I am declaring to you that gospel which I have also preached to you. And then he continues, look at what he says which also you received and in which you stand. So they've heard him declare the gospel. They have believed the gospel. They have received Christ because of that gospel. And today, as Paul writes that, they are still living in the truth of that very same gospel message. Okay, so what does that mean then in our standing before God? How does, how does that change our relationship with God? If we have heard the message, we've received that message, and we stand in it. Look at the very next phrase. By which, by what? What's the which? The which is the gospel, right? By which also you are saved. You're saved. You're saved because of the gospel. No wonder we call the gospel good news to those who are saved. That's us. We hear the gospel message and we recognize that is what has saved us. And he says this, If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So here's the issue, because somebody is always going to say, Yeah, but I know so and so. I remember the day they walked the aisle. I remember when they got baptized. But, you know, they just don't, they just don't live that way anymore. They, they just don't believe that way anymore. All right, ready for a good tongue twister? <laughs> a faith that falters before the finish was faulty from the first. Say that fast three times. Don't, don't really. But a faith that falters before the finish was faulty from the first. There are plenty of people who will pray a prayer with you. Sometimes we'll find people who, who maybe come to the mission, down at Mission Columbus, and they'll pray a prayer because they think that's, what's gonna re, that, that's how they're going to receive food. We may find people at Ark in the Park who decide if they, if they would pray a prayer, maybe then they get entered into the contest. Or this person just quits talking to me. 
you know? There's all kind of motivations for why people do that, and it's not always real genuine faith. So Paul said, if you believe that and if you hold fast to that, you have been saved. Now, watch this. In verse number 3, he says, For I delivered to you, first of all, of primary importance, that which I also received. By the way, that's a good motivation for you. If you've received the gospel, you need to give the gospel. He says, I'm declaring to you what I myself have also received. Now, in your translation, do you have a colon right there right after that? That's, that's what I've got in my, my, my grammar is a little colon there, which tells me that Paul is about to tell me what is the content of what he is declaring and what he has received. He's talking about the gospel, right? So what he's about to tell me is, what is the gospel? And here it is in three parts. Number one, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Number two, and that he was buried. And number three, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. The death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ And what that means for you is good news to lead you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of His love. That you yourself are saved. The message is good news. And it is good news to us. Look, if you will, in verse number 18. He says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of of God. And it's not because Paul's a good speaker. He said, I didn't do this with words of wisdom. I'm not trying to make this of no effect. I'm not trying to talk somebody into being saved. I just want to give them the message. And the message itself has power. And the message itself is transforming. A person can literally be saved by the word of God. That's enough. They don't need me to polish it. They don't need me to do anything with it. To just deliver it. We begin to remember that. We remember that the message of the cross, the message of the gospel, has that as its central theme, the cross. Jesus was crucified for us, according to those scriptures, meaning that he literally, really, actually died. Not not that he swooned, you know, not, not, that, not that he had to be, uh, not that he had to recuperate in, in that cold, dark, damp tomb, but to be resurrected from it. And for those of us who are being saved, man, that message is so powerful. It reminds us, does it remind you of when you receive Christ? I immediately am taken back to that little log on the North Georgia mountains when I'm sitting there and ask Jesus, come my heart. That do that for you? Sean sometimes will sing a song that says, I love to tell the story. It says this, For those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. We don't get tired of the message of the cross. We don't get tired of the message of the gospel because we know that it's life-changing. And it's thorough throughout the, throughout the scriptures. You know, Peter. Peter writes this. About Jesus, he says, who himself 
bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Peter knows that the cross is central to the message. Paul obviously knows it. He writes it here to the Corinthians, but I like what he writes to the Roman church. When he says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. How? He died on the cross, right? The writer of Hebrews, and you can decide whether you think that's Paul or not. The writer of Hebrews said, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What's the joy that's set before somebody? I mean, what is, what is the joy set before somebody to die? To die a painful death. What's the joy? The joy is you. The joy is those who are being saved because of his atoning death for us. I am that joy. You are that joy. And so, boy, when we hear the message of the cross, it's good news to us. That's good news to those who are saved. <laughs> but it is goofy news. To those who are self-sufficient. I mean it is. It is goofy news. And I want to show you exactly why I choose that word. You know. Everybody doesn't receive the message of the cross. The same way that we do. And, and Paul acknowledges that. You know he mentioned it. We just read that in verse number 18. He says to those who are perishing it's foolishness. But to those of us who are being saved. It's the power of God. So for us it's a powerful message. For them, it's a pathetic message, a message of foolishness, he says. And, and, I, and I use that word self-sufficient to describe those who think that they don't need Christ, who think that maybe they can live a good enough life and, and they can earn their way into heaven. Or those who even go so far as to say there is no heaven and I don't need to be saved in the first place. I'm doing fine all by myself. Well, Paul addresses those groups, that group of people, self-sufficient ones, but he breaks them down into two specific groups, the Jews and the Greeks, all right? He mentioned those who are perishing and those who are saved, but look down, if you will, to verse number 22 for a moment. He mentions these two groups. He says, the Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. Both of those groups believe that they're going to get to heaven and be made right with God based on those two things. If we could just get the right sign, if I could just have the right knowledge, then I could be okay. The Jews were interested in signs. They knew that God had promised to send a Messiah. And so they're continually looking for those signs to come up. They're looking for something spectacular, you know, to show for the, so that they might say, well, this person then must be the Messiah. And so all throughout the Gospels, you find them demanding of Jesus that he perform for them some kind of miracle or some kind of sign. You know, there's only one, uh, there's only one miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. You know it, right? It's the feeding of the 5,000. Incredible. How do you take that little boy's lunch? You know, I just want to be there and just see that one. Just see the stuff just keep coming. I mean, the fish and bread's come out of that basket like a clown car. 
You know what I mean? It just, it just keeps on coming. And he, and he sets people down in 50s and 100s, and that little basket's not even enough to fill those. And yet he feeds all 5,000. And almost immediately after they get through, while their bellies are still full, this is what they say to Jesus. What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Duh, what, 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 else, what else do I need to do, right? Jesus started, already told them, unless you people see a sign and wonders, you will by no means believe. By no means. When they demanded a sign from Jesus... Jesus said, this is an evil generation. It seeks a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the son of, the sign of Jonah the prophet. Now, if the, if the Jews are seeking a sign, and Jesus said, I'm not giving you a sign. I'm only going to give you the sign of Jonah the prophet, which is going to be his own resurrection. I'm not going to do tricks for you. I'm not going to do something spectacular just so you can look and say, well, that's why. I mean, he, he raised the dead. He healed the blind. He, he gave, he gave uh, hearing to the deaf. All of those miracles and all of those signs that pointed to him as Messiah, they just simply would not believe him. We invite you to join us tomorrow as Pastor Tim continues his message from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 17 through 25, entitled, We Preach Christ Crucified. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.